as you know, those of you who are joining us online and, and here, with, that we are continuing to do an overview of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. As we looked at last week, we watched a little bit of a video and we talked briefly about Genesis as a historical book. It recounts the history of creation and the fall of man, God's plan for restoration, and there are any number of, we looked at the first half, as, as I said before, we're just doing a flyover. We looked at the first half of Genesis last week, and this week we're going to look at the second half of it, and there's any number of accounts that we could look at. We could talk about Noah and Lot, Cain, Abel, Joseph, Jacob, and there's, the, the, the book of Genesis actually comes, covers more history of humanity in that one book there's a longer time frame than the rest of the Bible put together. Do you know that? More history in the first chapter of Genesis than there is in the entire rest of the Bible right up until today. And so the rest of the Bible includes Revelation. So this morning we're going to talk about a man by the name of Abram. You've heard of him called Abraham several times and you will hear that again today. But he starts out as Abram. And that name literally means exalted father. If you read through the scriptures at all, as we go through the Old Testament, if we go through the New Testament, Abraham is referred to over and over and over and over again. Abram is what his name started out as. And he really was an exalted father. And here's the deal. God wants to use this one family. Now we've looked at Genesis, uh, the beginning. We looked at how God created everything and he said it was good. And then last week we talked about the fall we talked about depravity. We've talked about the fallen nature of humanity. How many of you know we live in a world where we tend to do wrong things, right? If we've got an opportunity to do right or wrong, if we don't put some energy into it, we're going to step in it more often than not, right? We're going to tend our tendency, just, just ask, ask any mom with a little baby, they're going to tend to do, they're going to tend to go after the wrong thing, right? That's just our tendency. That's, that's the nature of a fallen humanity. And we realize that God started out, we talked last week about how he wanted to have fellowship with humanity, and sin broke that. And so now he uses the family of Abraham to rebuild this relationship. That's God's desire. So God called this man Abram. And the first thing that God calls Abraham to do, Abram to do, was to leave where he was at. You think, well, that's not such a big deal, right? We can all just leave. But he's telling Abraham to not just leave his house. He's telling him to leave everything. Let's read this. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your people and your father's household, and go to the land where I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's a pretty big deal, right? All the peoples of the earth, not just the little group that you're going to go to, and here, God asks Abram to leave everything that he has, everything. He asks him to leave it behind. First of all, it's a huge promise that God makes to him. But I want to tell you something. I've been a believer for a long time. I accepted Christ when I was 17 years old. That means that I've been born again for 
A long time. Thanks. You're right. Over 40 years, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've done lots and lots of counseling for many, many years. And there is one truth that I find that still remains true about God. When God calls you to something, he calls you to anything, he also calls you to leave something. He always calls us to leave. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure what that means, Pastor. You won't be sure what that means. But he always calls us to leave something. Maybe it's, maybe it's a pattern of sin. Maybe it's friendships that you've had forever. Now, God may open a door for you to go back into that. But he calls you out for a reason. He calls you out for a reason because generally, when he, when he, when he, when he finds you, you're sick and you're hurt and you've got problems in your life and you need help. I mean, you really need help. You need help. You can't stay where you're at. If you stay where you're at, you're going to get sucked right back into those things that, that got you in the problem in the first place, right? Right? He's going to call you out, and he's going to sometimes, it feels like he's dragging you. He's really doing good. He didn't know I was going to do this at all. You're liking this way too much. But he sat in the front row, so it's his fault. He's going to call you out of something. Know it. Know it. Own it. Thanks, man. You're going to get better. Someday he's going to get all better. He got all fixed up now, and he got better. So now he's actually good enough. He can go back. And maybe when he goes back, he can bring some light back into this corner, right? Amen. But God will, oh, yeah, give him a hand. He really went along with that well. He will always, always, always call you out. He's going to call you out for your own purpose. He's going to call you out for your own hope. You might find that it feels very uncomfortable. I can only imagine uh, Abram and his wife, because God says, if you follow me, I'll take you to the place where I want you to go. How many of you men out there are married and you just are able to get in the car and say, honey, we're going to go. Well, where are we going to go? I'm not sure, but I'll know when we get there. If you want to not get lost, if you want to never get blamed for being lost again or taking a wrong turn, just let your wife know that you'll know when you get there. And until then, now don't tell her that she'll know when you get there. Tell her that you will know. You don't want to put her on the spot like that. Abram simply followed after God. He simply followed after God. Do you get, you get that? We might not know where God is taking us. I was going to be a mechanic. I've told my story over and over and over again. My dad used to send us off with my mom to church, and he would stay home and watch all-star wrestling. At 11, I remember saying to myself, I can't wait till the day that I get married and I can send my wife off to church and I can stay home and watch all-star wrestling. It hasn't worked very well for me. Thankfully, thankfully. But God always calls us out of something. And we find that God wants to cut a covenant or make a covenant with Abram. He wants to make a covenant. Please, again, trust me. Anything that God calls you out of is for your benefit. It is for your benefit and it is for his glory. It is. It's for his glory. He will never call you out of anything that's going to destroy you. But we find that God wants to make a covenant with Abraham. We call it cutting, an, cutting a covenant. And Abraham understood, or Abram understood because this was a very relevant uh, idea in their day. 
Today we talk about covenants and all we can think of is our, our homeowners association. And the grass can be no more than two and a half inches long and you, you can't open the hood of your car out in the parking lot and you can't paint your fence pink and you can't do this and you can't do that. And if you're going to replace the shingles, you've got to do it this way. And you gotta, that's the closest thing to a covenant that we understand. But in, in Abram's day, a covenant was vastly, vastly different. So what is a biblical covenant? Well, generally speaking, a covenant is a promise between two or more parties. And the whole concept of covenant is, is significant throughout Scripture. But it's generally an agreement between two or more parties. And it might be an, a, a, a greater party and a lesser party. It might be two equal people. Uh, it can be a... a an ongoing eternal covenant. It can be a short-term covenant. So all kinds of different covenants. And as we continue to read through scriptures, you will hear, you will read about covenant. They're going to made a covenant. They made a covenant. One example of a covenant may be um, uh, David, for example. David has a large, he's a king. David has a large army, a large military presence in Israel. And David needs to feed his army. Maybe they're going to be traveling. They're going to be going someplace. And Alonzo over here, he's got a, a major farm. Well, David needs food for his farm. So he may cut a short-term covenant and say, hey, while we're in the area, I will protect everything that you own, but you have to feed my men. It's great. It's a great deal, right? Your farm is protected. There's war close. Uh, David's men are all taken care of. So there's all kinds of covenants. There's, like I said, there's long-term covenants and there's short-term covenants. But God wants to make a covenant with Abram. In a case where there was a, a king and a subject, the king would generally require, all you need to do is, is serve me. But in serving me, know that I will protect everything that you have. There's all kinds of different covenants. In Genesis chapter 9, we read about the, the beginning of this covenant. It actually takes several chapters for this thing to unfold. But we see that God establishes a covenant between himself and all of creation. This is one of the first covenants that we've seen. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Now I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And get this, get this, get this. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds and the livestock and the wild animals, and those that came out of the ark with you, and every creature, every living creature on the earth. This is obviously a post-flood covenant. After the flood God doesn't just make a covenant with, with Noah. God makes a covenant with all of creation. He makes an ongoing covenant. I will establish my covenant with you. Here's, here's the covenant. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Have we seen floods? Sure, we've seen floods. Have we seen big floods? Sure, we've seen big floods. Have you seen basements that flood? Sure, we've seen basements that flood. But we will never again see a flood that destroys the, old, the whole earth. Why? Because God made a covenant with creation. Not just with Noah, with all of creation. Then God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you and a covenant for all generations to come. Not just for a thousand years, not for two thousand years, for all generations. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and that will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth, the rainbow appears in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Let me just stop there for a second. 
How many of you remember why God flooded the earth? Too much evil, sin. The Bible says that every thought of man was wicked. Everything that they thought of was wicked. You know, we're not far from those days. There's a lot of sin around us. There's a lot of just plain wickedness in the world around us. And part of me at times thinks, God's got to be really tempted here. The rain got started. Let's just let her flow, boys. But the reality is, he made a covenant. Never again, this is 15, about halfway through, never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever a rainbow appears in a cloud, I will see it, and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all life on earth. So I want to be clear here. The rainbow, when we see a rainbow in the sky, or we see a rainbow on somebody's car, humanity can try and hijack God's sign. But the rainbow is a sign that God will not destroy the entire earth with a flood again. It's his sign. It's his idea. We can try to hijack it all day long, but that does not change the fact that that rainbow is a sign for you and me. Have you ever just sat and looked at a rainbow? If you haven't, wait till the next storm and sit down and find one. And just look at the majesty in that. You say, well, pastor, it's just a simple thing. It's just the way the water refracts through the light and the, little, the, the, the light comes through, the rain drops up. And it's just a simple little thing. Well, you figure out how to do one. <laughs> if it's so simple. It's simple because God's already done it. That's what makes it simple. But there wasn't one before that. As a matter of fact, before Noah's day, there wasn't even rain. We just read about that this week. And God chose to make a covenant with Noah. Again, we can read about the covenant with Noah and with David and Abraham and Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Actually, in the book of Jeremiah, God promises to make a new covenant. Was there anything wrong with the old covenant? Yep, here's what was wrong with the old covenant. Humanity. Go ahead, just raise your hand. What was wrong with the old covenant? No, no, there's more of you. Keep it up. What was wrong? Us. We're the problem with the old covenant. We couldn't keep our part. You can put it down now. You're not that bad. Uh, or maybe you were. <laughs> so we find that Abraham was part of this covenant-cutting process with God. God, and God makes a vow to him. And Abraham has to keep his end of the covenant. The Old Testament is... It's, it's more than just the history of Israel. I think that if we look at the Old Testament, it's actually more of a history of this covenant that God makes with Abraham because he's trying to restore humanity. God wants to have relationship with you and I. He's not willing to let this whole thing fall apart. So he reveals little by little his character, his plans, his purpose for humanity. The whole concept of covenant has been so lost in our modern society. We will break a covenant at the drop of a hat. I know we had a contract, but you know, things have changed. And so now I want out of the contract. Sue me if you want to. Right? Let me tell you a little bit, just a little bit, about an Old Testament covenant. I don't have a whole lot of information about this because I, I haven't studied it 
very deeply. But regardless of how unfaithful humanity is, God remains faithful to his covenant. Genesis chapter 15, and starting in verse 1, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can I give you since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, and Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram at this point in time is about 75 years old. God comes to him in a dream and says, I want to make a covenant with you. And Abraham says, That's great, but I don't really have anything. I don't even have a son. I can't even give my inheritance to my son. I have to give it to a relative over here because I don't have a son to give it to. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. You're 75. This guy over here, he's not going to be your heir. But a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so so shall your offspring be. Okay. 75. No kids. Look up at the stars. That's how many offspring you're going to have. And Abram's like, running out of time here, God. Abram, but verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's an accounting term. That's an accounting term. When you go to the bank and you deposit $100, it is credited to your account. It's there whether you see it or not. Abraham's righteousness was credited to him because he believed in God. God is making a promise and a covenant. And I think that's the heart of Christianity today. In the New Testament, we're told, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? That's our righteousness. Our righteousness does not come from what we do. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. We're not good. If coming to church 50 times in a row makes us righteous, that's not good enough. That is not it. What does it take to get into heaven? Perfection. It takes perfection. So, Pastor, how can we ever achieve that? We can't. It's just through faith in the blood of Jesus that we get that. That's the only way. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and I will give this land uh, to you to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, and three, a three-year-old ram each, and a, a dove along with a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all of these to him and cut them in two and arranged them in half of each, opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. So he takes a ram, he takes a, a, a ram, and he's supposed to take this ram and imagine with me, cut it in half lengthwise. Here's the head, here's the tail. Cut it in half lengthwise. Now you take those two halves and you lay them on the ground apart from each other. This is a thick ram, okay? Just go with me. And the participants of the covenant then would make vows to one another. We know what we have to offer. We know what we have to give. 
Okay, and so we make vows. And when the Bible talks about cutting a covenant, this is the picture. The animal is cut in half. And now we pass through this sacrifice. A whole bunch of things that we have to do before this. But I would pass through this sacrifice. And whoever I'm cutting the covenant with, they also would pass through this sacrifice. And as they pass through the sacrifice, they would make promises to one another. Part of the language that was very, very common in a covenant was, be it unto me as it is unto this goat or this cow or this sheep if I break the vows of this covenant. In other words, if I don't hold up my half of the deal, this is a picture of me. You have every right to have me killed. That was part of the covenant-making process. They took covenant very, very seriously. Do we take covenants that seriously? No. Most of us would be dead if that was the case because we've all broke some kind of a promise or a commitment to somebody else, right? I know, I know. It's that serious. That's how serious Abraham takes us. Now, listen to how this goes. As the sun was setting... Uh, Okay, verse 11. Then the birds of prey came down to the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. A thick and a dreadful darkness came over him. Abraham, in the middle of this covenant-making process, is off to the side sleeping. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that there are 400 years that your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own that they will be enslaved, they will be mistreated there. But I will punish the nations as they serve as slaves, that they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fullness. God lays out all these things that are going to happen to Abram's family. From 100 years, 300 years, 400 years from now, this is what's going to happen to your descendants. Let me ask you this. For those of you who have been following Christ, seriously, you've you've taken this, this walk very seriously for maybe 20 or 30 years. Has God not done amazing things in your life that you go, you know what, I would have never believed I could have been a part of that. How many of you have been part of things that you would have never believed that God, keep your hands up. I mean, really, you've been part of something you go, I would have never believed. And look around. Look around. You're all facing forward. Turn around. Look around. You go, you know what? I would not have believed. I'm telling you, if God had told us, you can put them down, if God had told me the things that he was going to allow me to be a part of, you can't hold your hand up, Cole. You're only seven. You haven't been part following for 40 years. Maybe you're eight. If God had told me all the things that were going to happen in my life that I was going to be part of, I would have probably wet myself, stood in the corner, and just gone home. Like, there's no way. There is no way. There is no God tells Abraham, look, this is part of it. And here's the amazing thing about this covenant. Abraham has, Abram has nothing to do with it. Chapter 15, verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. Abraham didn't pass through the pieces. Abraham didn't make that walk. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and he said, to your descendants I give the land. 
from the Wadi River to the great river Euphrates. A smoking pot and a blazing torch. What is that all about? We'll find many descriptions of God throughout the Old Testament that are like this. They're called theophanies. The Old Testament is filled with these pictures of God. Now, they would have understood it far greater than we do. But these are manifestations of God that people understood. And here we see God with a smoking torch. How does a smoking torch go through this? I don't know how that happens. But a smoking torch went through it. A flaming torch went through it. And then a smoking pot went through it. After the torch was done, a pot went through it. How does that happen? I don't know. Abraham's sleeping. He can't tell us what's going on. God's given him quite a word about what's going to take place. And the smoking pot has gone through here, and the flaming torch has gone through here. And both of those things represent God. And here's what that means. Here's what that means to us. Here's what that means today. That means God is going to hold up both ends of the covenant. That means Abraham doesn't do, have to do anything but believe, and God is going to account that to him as righteousness. He is not going... Have you ever heard, failure is not an option? Do you know what I think every time someone says, failure is not an option? Well, yes, it is. That's why you said it. Right? If somebody says, hey, failure is not an option on this. Yes, it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made such a big deal of it. We don't do this deal. We're going to fail. Failure is not an option. Well, here's the deal. When God cuts a covenant, God cuts a covenant, and God says failure is not an option, guess what? Failure is not an option. How do we know that? Because God held up both ends of the covenant. He fulfilled his side, and he fulfilled Abram's side. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the cross where Jesus did it all. I didn't have to do anything except believe just like Abram had to believe. He had to believe. The fact of the matter is when God shows up as a torch and when he shows up as a pot and when he passes through the covenant and when God says, this is not going to fail, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. Why? Because what God was trying to do was restore relationships throughout all humanity through the family of Abraham. We know that God, that Abraham doesn't do it right because he screws up and fails right away, right? You remember the story? We looked at it last week. Right after God says, I want to make you a great nation. You're 75 years old. You look up at the stars. You're going to have as many descendants as the stars of the sky. And what, is, what happens after that? His wife says, ah, you're 75. I'm 65. Probably not going to have any kids. Here's my handmaiden. Take her and see if you can get her pregnant. What? Let me tell you something, folks. This is not covenant behavior what she did was not God's plan God's plan all along he told Abraham and here's the deal she kind of tried to figure that out just like Eve tried to figure out the whole fruit thing well you know it's awful good it really looks good it make a great pie I'm going to have a bite why don't you take a bite Abraham fell for the same lies that Adam and Eve fell for and the whole goal the enemy's goal in all of this is try to, to try to break God's covenant. The next time we see that God really appears to Abraham down the road, Abraham's no longer 75. He's 99. 24 years later, 
God shows up again. Still no kids, right? Still no kids. I don't know how to, you know. You got to get your mind in this, okay? You got to think about this for a minute. It's bad enough that God makes a promise to a 75-year-old man that he's going to have enough kids that he's going to, just like the sands of the sea, just like the stars of the that's how many descendants you're going to have. That's bad enough. But now he comes back when he's 99. And he says, you didn't really believe me. I know you believed me. It was appointed to you as righteousness, but you, walked, you tried to walk it all out on your own. So I guess I'm going to have to give you a few years to cook and just see if you'll trust me a little bit later down the road. You think you could do it on your own when you're 75? Let's wait until you're 99. Then let's see what's going to happen. What happens? God appears. And again, it's another theophany. It's another, these angels appear. The Bible calls them the angel of the Lord appear. And they talk to Abraham and they say, hey, now you're in, we're going to come back in a year. And when we come back next year, your wife who's 90, when we come back, she's going to have a baby. And she falls down in the tent laughing. you got to be kidding me. There's no way. And the angel questions her about it. And she, what does she do? Well, I wasn't laughing. Read it. If you didn't read it, if you didn't get that out of it, you didn't read it close enough. Well, I wasn't laughing. Yes, you were. What choice do they have? At 99 and at, and at, at 89, what choice do they have? If this covenant is going to come true, how's it going to happen? It has to be done by faith. They have to believe God. Say, Pastor, well, how does that relate to us today? Way too often, God speaks something to us, and the first thing we do is we try to figure it out ourselves. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And the more that we try, the more God says, just going to have to put you in the cooler for a little bit. I do not want you to rely on you. I want you to rely on me, on him. Our righteousness is not about us doing right things. Our righteousness comes from one place and one place only, and that's the blood of Jesus. Abraham proved it over and over again. Abraham screws up over and over and over again. Right after God makes this, this, uh, this agreement with him, the, well, the first thing he does is he takes her handmaid and gets her pregnant. Okay, that's bad enough. Next thing while they're on their travels, he takes his wife and decides, you know, baby, when we go into town, you're far too pretty. I mean, like, you're way too hot. And when we go in there, the Pharaoh's going to look at you, and he's going to kill me so that he can get to you. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just tell him that you're my sister. What do you think the end of that's going to be? So Pharaoh takes her, and then all of a sudden God intervenes and gives him, and then the guy's like, what is the matter with you? Why would you give me your wife? Take her back. And Abraham doesn't learn once. He does it twice. And you sit here and you say, what an idiot. And then I challenge you to think about your own life. How many times have we gone around the mountain? and seen that same view over and over and over again. Right? Anybody but me? We've gone around the mountain. We've, we know that God's saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, well, maybe just once. 
Well, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm sure not going to do, well, maybe just once. What's the lesson out of this? The lesson is my righteousness is as filthy rags. It takes faith. It takes believing in God. And there are going to come times when you fall and you fall and you fall and you fall. Abraham's a perfect example. Just because he was in covenant with God does not mean that he didn't sin. Doesn't mean that he didn't blow it. He blew it over and over and over again, right? Over and over and over again. He finally comes to a place in his life where I think he gets a handle on it. He finally gets a handle on it when he's told to offer his son as a sacrifice. Let's go back and talk about covenants for just a minute. Whenever there was a covenant in the Old Testament, we find an exchange. There's some sort of exchange that goes on. Noah was told to serve the Lord. That was his part of the exchange. God gave him a rainbow. Abraham is told to serve the Lord. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. This is down the road. Abraham's 99 years old now. Uh, The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you should be circumcised. You must undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between you and me. Now, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking he may have decided to have a conversation with God and said, do you remember Noah, right? He got a rainbow and we got circumcision. I'm just not sure if that's fair. You'll get it. You'll think of it sometime this afternoon. You'll go, oh, oh, that was funny. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. And Abraham, the Bible says, Abraham went to his family and to his tribe, and they did that immediately. That day, they circumcised the men of their tribe. There was a mark left in the man, but there was a promise that came from God. We have a covenant. In Jeremiah, the Bible says that that God's going to create a new covenant And that new covenant is Jesus. Part of the symbol of the new covenant that we have with Christ, part of that covenant, part of that remembrance is uh, communion. When we take communion. And we take communion, we're told to remember what he did. Remember what he did. And on our part, what we have is a circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the heart. The Bible talks about a circumcision of the heart where where he's taken our stony heart and he's made it soft again. We know that we're following after Christ because things in our life have changed regardless of the difficulty. I don't know if this is, if this is you or not, but I know this is, this is me. I get so frustrated with, with sin. I get so frustrated with people who are walking in sin. I get really frustrated with the, the lawmakers and the rules and the things that are going on and the, the goofy stuff that gets passed on a regular basis, the goofy rules. Minnesota governor just went and signed into law that uh, Minnesota is going to become a sanctuary state for kids who want to become transgender. It's bizarre. Families are not going to be able to have any say in it at all. It's it's bizarre. And I get so frustrated and I want to get so angry and I'd love to just go and and have a real face-to-face with the governor. And yet at the same time, my heart is broken thinking sinners do what sinners do. They fall into that same trap of sin over and over and over again. 
They're just falling into it. Abraham was told, I want to make a covenant with you. You need to pick up and go. Something needs to change. Don't stay in a spot where you can continue to fall into sin. It's a word for each one of us. If you find yourself in a new relationship with Christ, you're saying, you know what, God? I've never been down this road. One of the first things he's going to ask you to do is move. Get out of the hole that you're in. The best way to, 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 to get out of a hole is to stop digging. Don't stay in the same pit that you're in and expect life to change. It's not going to change. God wants us to get up and to move. It's part of our covenant. And what do we do? Abraham simply obeyed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. He believed God. He did what God said that he would do, what he was going to do, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're in that same boat. We're in that same boat. We're not saying you, you, you call on a, on a relationship, you, you decide, you know what, God, I'm sick and tired of my life. I'm sick and tired of the way it's going. I, I really need to make a change. And God says, come, follow me. I heard something this morning. It was, it was, it was Andy Stanley. Um, just as I was going out the door this morning, I heard him say that there are many, what? Not believers, many people who, many admirers. Jesus has many admirers, but he has very few followers. Hang on to that. He has many, many admirers. Oh, man, I want to do what God calls me to do. I want to do what God calls me to do. Great, then do this. Uh, I'm not really sure I want to go that far. I felt God when I was, when I was uh, 18, 19 years old. I was working a job in, in Hibbing, working for an electronics company. And there was all kinds of potential for me there. Uh, I was young, but I was a hard worker. There was all kinds of potential. They were going to put me on as a night supervisor. We are going to do this. We are going to do that. And I had an opportunity. I believe I had a call to go on a missions trip to Mexico. And so I went to my boss, and I said, look, I know I've only been here six, eight months, whatever it is. And I said, I have this, this opportunity. I really I believe God's calling me. And he was a Christian man, so I was able to talk like this. I said, I, I just believe God's calling me on a missions trip. I said, is there any way I can get two weeks off of work? I'll do it without pay. You don't have to do anything. And he comes back from the, from the headquarters, comes back from the boss. Nope, you don't show up to work tomorrow. It's considered a no call, no show, and you're done. So I'm like, well, okay. I guess I quit. Well, you, you shouldn't do that. Well, then you should have given me the time off. And if you can't afford to give me the time off, that's okay because I need to follow what God has called me to do. I don't want to be irresponsible. I don't. I told my kids all the time. My daughter, Lindsay, came home one day after a paper route. She's like, Dad, Dad, guess what? Guess what? I quit my paper route today. I'm like, really? Yeah, isn't that great? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I told her, I played up straight up. I said, you know what? I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to fund your, your, your way of living, your style of life. She said, I'm 12. I don't have a style of life. So you like to go to Hardee's, don't you? Yeah, I said, I'm not paying for that. You like to rent a movie every once in a while, don't you? Yeah, I'm not paying for that either. I told her, I said, you know, at the end of the day, honey, the best time to quit a job is when you got two, right? That's the best time to quit a job is when you got one lined up already. And I know there have been times when God's placed me in that position where it's like, I want you to follow me. I don't want you to admire me at a distance. 
I don't want, I don't want you to sit back in church and go, you know what, it would really be great if we had a children's ministry. It would really be great if we had kids' ministry. It would really be great if we had something to do. You know, Pastor, somebody should start a children's ministry. You know, Pastor, it would be a really good thing. That's not exactly how it went. Darcy's like, you know what, I, I need, we need to do this. And I'm going to follow God and do that. And she jumped in with both feet. And because of that, next week we're going to be able to start offering that ministry to your kids and to your grandkids and to your friends' kids. We're going to be able to start doing that. God calls us, he always calls us to leave, especially that comfortable space. I have no idea what my notes say at this point in time. But I believe what God is saying to each one of us is that he's calling us to come out from among this world system that we live in. Come out from the comfortable things. Sometimes you're going to have to make a stand. You're going to, God wants to take us from that position of being an admirer to being a follower. Amen? Amen. Abraham followed God. Men and women who've made an impact in their community have been men and women who have followed, not just stood back at a distance. If I stand up here on a Sunday morning and say, well, you know what, as a church, we really need, everybody needs to tithe. We need to start giving. We need to tithe. Mine better be the first check in the plate, right? Mine better be the first check in the box. Mine better be the one that's in there first because if that's not true, then I don't get to call anybody out. God wants to call us into a deeper... Abraham, one more, one more. We've read the story. Abraham goes a little bit farther. Finally, he has this child. The angels come back. Sure enough, there's the baby. They've had the child. It's amazing. 100-year-old man, 90-year-old woman. They got, a, they got an infant baby. He raises him up. And at some point, God says to Abraham, uh, uh, listen, he shows up again. He's like, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, and I want you to, to, to go and, and do a sacrifice. All right, well, what do I need to take along? Firewood. What else? Take the boy. Like what? Take the firewood, take the boy. That's all you need. Well, what's the sacrifice? God says, I will provide. So Abraham takes the boy, Isaac. They get up there and Isaac's like, hey, dad, this is cool. We're on a, we're on a father-son outing. This is good. We're going to do a sacrifice. That's really good. I got all the wood. I got the, the axe. I, we're all ready to go. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide knowing in his heart of hearts that the sacrifice is the boy. Scripture says that when God speaks to him, God will not do anything he's not willing himself to do. Gratefully for Abraham, as he's got the wood piled up and all ready to go, and he's got his son laying on the altar, and he takes a knife and he raises the knife up, God says, stop. I'm just testing your obedience. Look over in the bush over there. Over in the bush over there, there's a ram I've provided for the sacrifice. You will never go any place. You will never step out of that realm. You will never, God will never take us on that road that's so uncomfortable, so out of normal that he will not provide. And I can tell you time and time and time again, I've found myself in situations that all I can do is throw up my hands and go, it had to be God. He provided it. It's not, it's not, it got nothing to do with me. It had to be God. Abraham believed, and it was appointed unto him as righteousness. Without faith, 
We got nothing. We got, we have nothing, nothing, nothing. Jesus is not looking for any more admirers. He's looking for followers. Amen? We've got a video that we're going to show. If you could hit the lights, Colin, and we're going to show this video real quick. Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now, you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book. Art. But on top of that, we're also told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do that? Well, what we need to remember is that over and over in the story, Pharaoh has already chosen to harden his own heart. And so at this point, Pharaoh, he's not just evil, he's become monstrous and evil. Even his own advisors think that he has gone way too far. And so how is God supposed to deal with such an extreme form of evil? And what we see in this story is that God uses his power to lure evil into its own destruction. Pharaoh and his army are destroyed in the Red Sea as Israel passes into freedom. And after this, we find the very first song of worship in the Bible as the people praise God for redeeming them. And it's in this story that the word salvation is also used for the first time, which means simply to be rescued from danger. Now that they're saved, you would think that everything should be great, but the story quickly turns. The Israelites start wandering in the desert. They're tired, hungry, lost. And you start to wonder, what's God doing? What were they saved for? And we learn the answer to that question in the very next story, which ties the two parts of this whole book together. Exodus is where we're going from here. Uh, if you're keeping up with the reading, we're on week three. Again, if you uh, just check into the church website, you will find the, the readings for the day. And that, again, if you want an audio version, it's on there as well. So let's, let's close in prayer this morning. Lord, as we have just done this flyover of the book of Genesis, what we see is, in fact, that sin came in and it, tainted humanity it's changed us it's left us in a fallen state and yet right from the very beginning you try to cut covenants with humanity you make you make a way you make a promise to Abraham and tell Abraham if you just simply believe I'll hold up both ends of the bargain all I want you to do is believe I want you to just walk out what I tell you to do just walk it out and there are times when Abraham succeeds and there are times when he fails. You have that same deal for us. You've provided a way. Jesus has made the path. You, you've, you've done it all for us. All we have to do is walk it out and believe. And as we do that, God, you will so graciously use us. So I pray, Father, for each person here today that we would truly desire to walk out the truth that you have for us. We'd recognize our righteousness is nothing. There's no thing that we could do that's going to accomplish anything. We have, to, we have to gain access to you through the blood of Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only sacrifice that's going to work. Bless each person here today, Lord, I pray. Continue to move in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I bless you. Have a great day. If you haven't been down and seen the children's nursery and you've got little kids, take them down there. Let them get a look. Thank you.